uh, honestly, it's about storytelling, right? It's here's how big the market opportunity is. We can attract the people to help build us the company that's going to take advantage of that, that market opportunity. And by the way, here's why people want that solution to this problem. Back to going deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Eric Satz, is the founder and CEO of Alto IRA. If you do any sort of saving for retirement, you probably have used an IRA before, and they're conventionally used to buy bonds and equities. However, Eric sees an enormous opportunity to help investors of all shapes and sizes diversify their portfolio by utilizing their IRA to invest in, amongst other things, cryptocurrency, farmlands, private companies, and artwork. In this interview, we talk about that premise and why he believes in it, the momentum at their back as they just raised a $40 million Series B round of funding, and some practical lessons for entrepreneurs in any industry. Really cool platform, really interesting entrepreneur. I think you're gonna enjoy it. Here is Eric Satz. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Alrighty, Eric, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Aaron, thanks for having me, buddy. I, I I've been looking forward to this, so I'm ready. To, you know, hopefully, I'm ready to go here. Oh, I'm sure you are. Um, I think that the most helpful place to start, folks. I want to really, you know, get a, a, a precipitous stair climb up into the nuances of what you're doing with Alto. But to start things off, if people aren't super into investing, they may have heard of something like a sixty forty traditional equity bond portfolio. That's kind of been the tried and true, safe, right down the middle, fat pitch of uh, portfolio theory for decades. And for a number of reasons, that is less appealing to people. So in the context of that being a very kind of conventional style of setting some money aside for retirement or whatever your financial goals may be, what is Alto doing to kind of serve as a different pull, so to speak, of, of funds and, and kind of ways to think about your investing? Well, if I knew we were going to play softball, I would have brought a bigger bat. Um, I, I appreciate that opening question. So uh, let me start with what Alto does. And, and Alto makes it easy for individual investors to access their retirement savings for purposes of investing in alternative assets. Now, we define alternative assets as private equity, venture capital, real estate, uh, private credit products, securitized artwork or collectibles like automobiles or watches or Babe Ruth baseball cards or Michael Jordan sneakers and, and crypto as well. So said another way, maybe a little bit going around the barn backwards here is that these are assets that are not publicly traded. They're not registered securities. And for the most part, places like Fidelity and Schwab, which is where uh, an individual in the past may have engaged in the conventional wisdom of a 60-40 portfolio, those places aren't going to allow you to invest in these types of assets. And so we serve uh, two functions in this process. We serve both as 
the connective tissue and the platform by which you access and transact with uh, other investment platforms or even your own investment opportunities in order to execute these transactions with your retirement accounts. And we serve as the custodian, which is a regulated entity and, and required by the IRS for people who want to invest with their retirement savings. And so I, I think the thing about 6040 is that it's old conventional wisdom. And I think it served its purpose, but I think you have to go back to a, to a time a couple of decades ago when the number of public companies was growing rapidly, where we would end up with almost 9,000 public companies. Today, we've got less than 4,000 public companies. And of the 4,000 that exist today, only 400 matter in terms of returns. So if you combine that dynamic with the explosive growth in the mutual fund industry and the ETF industry, right, where everyone said, you know what, you can't beat the market. Don't try to pick stocks. You can't be an active investor. You should be passive about this just by a mutual fund. Everybody did. Everybody did that in their 401k. Everybody did that in their IRA. Everyone who, who employs a financial advisor, all the financial advisors say, be passive by this mutual fund because, well, that's really easy for them anyway. So in, in today's world where people have this, you know, portfolio of, uh, of mutual funds, they actually don't have any portfolio diversification. And, and that's because every mutual fund or ETF is comprised of some sub-segment of the same 400 companies. So it's impossible to outperform the market. It's impossible to get any excess returns. And, and so what we do is we say, you know what? You need portfolio diversification. You can't find it in the public markets. Let us make these other asset classes available to you. We're not telling you what to invest in. We're saying take advantage of this single greatest tool at your disposal, which is diversification in order to reduce your portfolio volatility and increase the potential for returns, right? And so I think in an ideal world, you might have 10% of your assets in 10 different asset categories. I think that's sort of out of reach for most, most people. And, 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 the, and it's out of reach today because of who has that kind of time to really get to know 10 different asset categories. But how about five asset categories? How about putting 20% of, of your investable assets in, in five different categories? And by the way, we're not anti-public. We're just saying it shouldn't be 60-40 public. And so uh, maybe you have 20% in equities. Maybe you have 20% in bonds. I'm, you know, I'm just picking. But then maybe you have 20% in private companies of various stages, 20% in credit product, and maybe you have 20% in crypto. Right. And, and so what we do is enable that true construction of portfolio diversification. And, and, and that's what we're about. We're not about saying invest in this one thing. And we're certainly not about saying invest all of it in this one thing. And it's a, a part of the nature of the digital age that people have more access, more option to things across the board, outside of finance, media, 
um, you know, the ability to, in a globalized world, world, buy something that was produced on the other side of the planet and have it travel all the way around to you with a, you know, two day expected delivery or whatever the thing may be. Um, but very specifically, when you think you're talking about diversification and, and part of the goal of, uh, you know, diversifying the, where your investments are is trying to get something beyond market returns. If everyone owns an S&P 500 index, then you're going to get exactly what everyone else is getting. That's right. But the other but the other side of it is also a form of risk management. And you mentioned crypto. Some of the other options are investing in private companies and artwork. But the the farmland piece in terms of a potential alternative asset to be in was a really interesting one because I remember listening to an interview with an institutional investor and they were basically explaining, you know, I don't know if it was the Harvard endowment or Yale or whatever, but it's like, you know, the average person can't go buy uh, multiple hundred acres of forest lands that will be logged and will have a nice return over a 25-year period, but there's no real sense of liquidity in the market for hundreds of acres of uh, forest lands. Uh, but I, as the head of this endowment, whatever, can totally conceive of that. That's really the difference here is partially there's a there's a, a legibility and a Lego build, building block nature to some of these uh, investable assets that just weren't an option in the paper and pencil. You know, when TD Ameritrade was getting built, it was paper and pencil and they were calling stuff in as opposed to being able to digitize everything. Yeah. So you, you're referring to the fractionalization of ownership. When, I, when I'm feeling particularly, particularly poetic, I call it the fractionalization of securitization. Uh, my mom taught me how to rhyme when I was a little kid. So you know, it's, it's this ability, actually, let's, let's stick with farmland, right? Like, you know, do you have $500,000 or a million dollars or $5 million to go buy all this farmland? Ignore the due diligence side of it, of it for a second. It's like, do, do you have the wampum to do it? Most of us, no, don't, right? But Farmland as an asset class and certainly as portfolio diversification and something to use to reduce volatility. So I'm not totally dependent upon how my equities do uh, or how my crypto does it is a huge asset to have in the portfolio. And so uh, specifically, we work with partners like uh, Acre Trader and Farm Together, who enable you to participate in their um, in their investment opportunities for you know probably as low as twenty five hundred dollars, right? And you get to review the diligence material that professionals have put together, and they can help educate you. You of course need to do the homework, and and everyone should go educate themselves with respect to how they invest and and where they invest. Um, but they they no pun intended, they literally break it down into bite-sized pieces, you know, so you can invest in farmland, whereas, you know, five years ago, that couldn't happen. And you can take that same fractionalization of ownership thesis, and you can apply it across all these asset classes, right? So in, in venture capital or private equity, it may be with AngelList or Republic or WeFunder, in private credit, it's, you know, with companies like Cadence in real estate, uh, someone like Diversifund, um, in artwork, it's Masterworks. 
it, you know, so the in collectibles, you'll see, uh, at least knock on wood, I'm hoping you'll see pretty soon getting added to our, to our uh, partner portfolio, Rally and Otis. And that would be great, right? So this ability to um, build a portfolio and to build diversification within each asset class, no matter how much you have at your disposal, really, right? And and that that to me is uh, exciting about where we're headed in this business. It's also exciting with respect to what I think is going to be. You mentioned liquidity, right? Um, I I think, and this is not happening tomorrow. It's a it's a slightly longer. Uh, window or time frame, if you will, but the the digit uh, the the digitization um, of securitization and and specifically the blockchain uses that that are now sort of on the doorstep of our disposal and how that will enable us to trade and get liquid in various things is pretty exciting to think about. So. One of the other kind of big pieces of news and probably reasons that you're excited is that a $40 million Series B was just announced for Alto. And another thing that we've covered in many past episodes is the kind of, if you think about different stages, Seed, Series A, Series B, onwards and upwards, each of those come with these different actual risks that need to be removed. Yes, you want positive, you know, stratospheric hockey stick numbers, but in maybe the earliest stages, what you're trying to prove is this technically feasible. Is there any sort of interest in something like this? Do, does the team make any sense? And then a Series A, you're looking for some form of evidence that, you know, we figured out how to grow this thing and, and a lot of those risks, risks are off the table. A $40 million round, at least in my mind, looks very much like a growth round. It's like, hey, we have a formula now. That's right getting more types of assets being available on the platform and getting people to use our platform. Can you talk about specific to a series B, what risks you had to prove were off the table or, or demonstrate were likely off the table to your investors? And how did you do that? Yeah. So regardless of what name you give a particular round of financing, you know, you, you typically start at the beginning of, uh, of any company with kind of team risk, product market fit, and then execution, right? Um, and, and I think as you go through the various fundraising stages, you've got to eliminate parts uh, of each of those uh, risks. And as you eliminate the the sort of big question marks and and there's not any one thing within team there's not any one thing within product market fit and there's certainly not any one thing within execution you know each one has variables uh living underneath and so you have to begin to eliminate a, a bunch of those variables and at, and at the beginning at the very beginning I, honestly, it's about storytelling, right? It's here's how big the market opportunity is. We can attract the people to help build us the company that's going to take advantage of that, that market opportunity. And by the way, here's why people want that solution to this problem. As you go to 
to Series A, as you're building to Series A, the product is out in the wild. You're no longer selling the story. You're hopefully demonstrating that you have product market fit, that that people want this thing that you are selling. And, and that kind of gets you to the Series A. And we did the Series A for us anyway, um, back in uh, March, April of, uh, well, of last year of, of, of 2020. And the idea was that we could show that with the product market fit that we had demonstrated and with the team we had built up until that point, that we could begin to accelerate growth. And um, let me pause you real quick. You said last year, you said March, April, 2020. Did you mean 2021? I meant 2021. Yes. Okay. Because I was going to say, if you raised in the middle of like the world seemingly coming down, that would have been one of the most, like we would stop everything else and just be like, tell me about that story. But 2021, got it. Keep going. Yeah. 2021. But what I will tell you is I raised immediately before the world coming down. And, and this is like the, and I'm going to come back to the story in a second. I, I, I think, look, I, I'm older than a lot of entrepreneurs. I think I'm, you know, I'm 52 years old. Um, I, I, I have seen more cycles than a lot of, you know, on entrepreneurs and sort of at the end of, uh, 2019 going, going into 20, you know, I had this uneasy feeling about things. I certainly wasn't predicting a pandemic, by the way. Uh, you know, my crystal balls, uh, first of all, it's not made of crystal and it's certainly not clear like that. But um, so we ended up raising right before uh, right before the pandemic. Um, and as a result, we were able to continue to accelerate growth through 2020. Um, whereas other people were thinking about, OK, who are we going to cut back? How do we spend less? All this stuff like we, we were doing more, not less. And a little bit more than a year later, in March of 21, when, when we raised the, the Series A, we demonstrated that um, not only have we built something that people wanted, but uh, they were paying us for it, right? And um, so basically from the year 2021, had 15x revenue growth, which... Uh, you could you could say you're still starting from the from the law of small numbers, but I don't care. Fifteen x is fifteen x is is a big. It wasn't that small that we were starting with. You know, fifteen x is is a big number, um, and so that was the the train that we were on, and that's what led to our Series B because because it was saying, look. We feel like we've established ourselves as the leaders in the category. This is what our, our vision and roadmap for the future looks like. With more money, we can not just step on the gas, put, but put the pedal to the floor. And, and we think we can go another, you know, call it five to seven X from 21 to 22. And uh, that's that's what we're trying to do now, and that, that's why we raised the the forty million dollar round. And so is so. What I was struggling with going into this interview 
was understanding the proper categorization. Because if you've looked at, if you've watched startup deck, like people do their pitches, one of the slides of every single deck is here's like the five competitors and we have this box and like all these different things. Like look, our box, we have every single check mark and then all of our competitors are missing at least one check mark in some way, shape or form. Of course. And we've referenced, we've referenced, you know, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, um, Schwab, some of these kind of conventional uh, enormous platforms, billions and billions and billions in AUM that are helping people to kind of wrap up their equity and, and bond investing into these IRA type of wrappers. Um, is that who you point to as the competition for a, a platform like this? There, you, you kind of foresee that they eventually have to move in this direction and you have that first mover, nimble startup type of advantage, or do you conceive of the chessboard in a different way? I, I think I, I think about it somewhat differently. First of all, um, I think we all owe a lot to Fidelity, Schwab, TD, E-Trade, all those folks. I mean, they, they moved, I, I'm going to say they took the investment landscape and they shifted it up and to the right so significantly over the last couple of decades to everyone's benefit. Hundred percent, and those are those are incredible companies. I think we're doing something very different from what they do. I consider them to be uh, one one of two things: either potential partners because they they decide that what we built is of value and they want to partner with us in order to enable access to their client base, or eventually potential competitors. But I, I don't think that's happening tomorrow. And if you, if you ask me what my goal is with, with Alto, it, it's to displace Fidelity as the leading uh, retirement investment platform. Uh, and, 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 and if you don't have goals like that, uh, now, all, all companies are different, but we're, we're a company that's raising venture capital. We have institutional investors. So... You know, I, I think it's only appropriate that we have goals to uh, to display some, display someone like Fidelity. The, the The other thing that I want to point out, and I think this is um, a somewhat relevant uh, and important comparison, uh, actually has to do with Charles Schwab, uh, the man, not the business, but the business followed, which was if you roll back. Uh, a, a few decades, the brokerage industry commercials were dominated by uh, E.F. Hutton. Um, and, and you may not even be old enough to, to have seen an E.F. Hutton uh, commercial. Never. Yeah, right. So it was Sherson Lehman Hutton um, is what, I mean, there's so many mix-ups in the, in the brokerage industry and investment banking industry, but the E.F. Hutton commercial went something like when when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And and there was this commercial where E.F. Hutton, to the extent he was a guy, uh, would start speaking and everybody else around would sort of turn and, and cup their ear and and try to listen to this sage, you know, investment advice. Um, but but really, the, the scene in which this took place was a country club or a yacht club or a golf course or 
pick some setting where you had, you know, you know, wealthy white guys. Right. And, and it was like, this commercial was really only speaking to that demographic and, and a broker wasn't going to talk to you unless you had a certain amount of money. And I think one of the, the, the just incredibly genuine and brilliant things that Charles Schwab did was to say, you know what? We're not giving the average investor, the average American enough credit here. Everybody can and should do this. And by the way, the discount brokerage that Schwab introduced, like in the early 70s, was like $49.99 a trade. Can you imagine? Robinhood, zero. Schwab, $49.99. Like that was was discount brokerage trading. But what they did was they said, hey, we're going to put a store on every corner of Main and Main. We're going to invite people in. We're going to help them. We're going to educate. We're going to tell them why they need to do this. And he was just way ahead of his time there, I think. And it was just absolutely brilliant. And so to, to, to a certain degree, what I like to think that we're doing is what Charles Schwab did without the you know stores on the corner of Maine and Maine, which is like, you know what? Everyone deserves the ability to, to potentially achieve some outsized returns. It's not without risk. But we want to help you understand those risks. We want to help you do your homework. We want to help you diligence opportunities. And then, of course, we want to make it so that you can execute in an affordable way. So just trying to follow that model. Hopefully, we'll have a quarter of the success he did. Yeah. I mean, that would still be an absolutely epic company because th- those companies are, if you're in finance, you have an appreciation for the scale and the 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 amount of just kind of market moving impact that they have. It's crazy. But if you're not, it, they're kind of, you know, I don't want to say hidden in the background because they're probably every other like uh, NFL Sunday running some sort of commercial in some way, shape or form. But it, it's easy to miss the the scale there. So I want to talk really quickly about just another important nuance, not speaking over people's heads because there's a, there's finance people that are going to be just nodding along. And then there's going to be folks that um, might miss the nuance here is because that these are IRAs, there are potentially tax advantaged statuses associated with making these investments. So the, it's already possible to you know, because of Reg CF and some of these crowdfunding platforms that you referenced, Masterworks, you can go direct to all of these platforms and do that type of investing. I just got an email the other day that was like solicited via AngelList to be a part of the seed round of a startup's round of fundraising. The important element here that takes doing it through Alto to another level is the potentially tax-advantaged status that comes with being in the IRA wrapper. So I thought maybe you could use the story that got all sorts of people in a tizzy about uh, Peter Thiel and his investment in Facebook as an adv- uh, as an example of that. Or if you want to use a different one, I totally understand. No, so I want to do. I, w- I want to build on what you just said first, and then and then I'll talk about Peter Thiel. So you know wh- whether it's in your Fidelity IRA or in your Alto IRA. Uh, you don't pay taxes on capital gains. To the extent you have gains, you get to reinvest them without, pay, without paying taxes and, and you get the benefit of compounding returns. And 
I'm probably going to butcher this, but I, I think Einstein referred to compounding at the time as compounding interest. I'll call it compounding returns is like the eighth wonder of the world. And you can do some quick math or pull out a Google sheet or Excel or your spreadsheet. And, and you could just see how much bigger your returns are over a lifetime of investing, call it 20 or 30 years, depending on how old you are. If you're not paying those, you know, let's just call it a 20% tax rate every time you get returns, but instead you get to reinvest that 20% each time that before you know it, that's a big number. The, the second piece, which is the Peter Thiel question, the issue actually didn't live with his investment in Facebook. I, I don't think anyone in any way questions the validity of his having invested. And by the way, what's important here is that he invested out of his Roth IRA. So he did an alternative IRA investment, like an auto IRA investment, out of his Roth IRA. And, you know, for those who don't know, when you invest, when you put money in a Roth, you pay the taxes up front. And then all your returns, including when you take your distributions out at retirement, are all tax free. And so he made, um, he famously made a $500,000, uh, I think it was a $500,000 investment in a very early Facebook round, which turned out to be worth a uh, billion dollars. And well, we call that a good investment. So, um, and, and the thing about Alto that, that I like to point out is that you don't have to have $500,000 to do what Peter Thiel did. You can have $500 or 5,000 or 50,000. You can still achieve the same return through a Roth account, right? You know, the absolute dollars may be slightly different, uh, but the IRR is the same. The, the piece that I'm not saying is that when you invest out of an IRA, there are certain, although highly limited restrictions, which have to do with what is called a prohibited transaction. And so for all the entrepreneurs out there, as well as the, the CEOs who are on boards of companies, you cannot use your own IRA to invest in your own company. And so all the, all the hubbub around what Teal did actually goes back to his investment in PayPal and whether or not that was an appropriate investment. Now, I don't know the details around it, but I suspect whether, whether it was uh, legal or not, uh, no one in the IRS noticed, you know, until some point beyond the statute of limitations is what I suspect. Makes sense. I just think that, um, you know, the, the very easy thing for all the platforms to sell you on, and, and it's very understandable, is pay less in fees. Pay less in fees. Everyone wants to pay less in fees. But it's really important to also recognize that, you know, if your, your fee is being reduced from, say, you know, 1% to 0.1% or 0.1% to 0.05%, that versus avoiding a 15% you know, tax or whatever the, the effective capital gains tax would be on that trade. Yeah. You're talking about completely different levels of, um, you know, potential savings when you use that vehicle. So I just, I think it's important to recognize that because someone's going to say, well, I've already, 
you know, bought a piece of art on Masterworks. I've already bought my, you know, swanky set of shoes or whatever on Rally. And I, I, I don't necessarily need this. It's like, that's partially what you're trying to also help people do. No, that, that that's right. The, the savings are of uh, far different scales. I think it's also important to note that you can't use your IRA to buy from yourself an asset that you already own. Just, just so people, so, so people don't take a, you know, I, I don't want some to have the takeaway like, oh, I've, you know, I, I bought something on Rally. I want to now sell it to my IRA. That's one of those prohibited transactions. No can do. Right. So Eric, this has been fantastic. I, I've hit most of the questions that I had today. Um, but before I kind of aim towards wrapping up with the the final last two, was there anything else you were hoping to share about business building, building about Alto in general that I didn't give you a chance to? Look, it, it, it's uh, <laughs> every every overnight success is like some long time in the making, right? It, you know, it's I, I was interviewed about the Series B round la- last week. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't make it into the article. But for for those who who are listening at at home, what didn't make it into the article is I said, you know, all these articles get written about the founders and the CEOs. And what, while founders and CEOs certainly deserve uh, some level of credit, it, it is my strong belief that it really has to do with the team you surround yourself with. Uh, as well as catching catching a couple breaks, getting lucky here and there. And what I like to say about luck is that it's where hard work, opportunity, and awareness intersect. It's, it's like that ability to recognize that something is about to go your way and to and to take advantage of it. But look, we we I raised the first money for Alto in 2016, right? It, it's 2022. You you really got to want to do whatever it is that thing is that that you're doing. It, it's not always up and to the right. Yeah, take your lumps along the way. That's uh, par for the course. Yep. So, uh, Eric, this has been fantastic. I'm really excited. Like, I one of my favorite things when I do these interviews is when I come across something that I know that I will inevitably refer or you know advise a friend to check out in the future um and unambiguously this falls into that category because i got a lot of friends thank that, you you know try to try to do angel investing or probably need a more tax advantaged way to yolo their crypto investments or whatever the thing may be um so uh for folks that want to learn more about alto check out all the things you guys are doing what digital coordinates can we provide for people yeah so altoira.com is the easiest a l t o i r a dot com, right? That's that that's pretty straightforward. Uh, we're on Twitter, I think, also under Alto IRA. Maybe there's a underscore in there somewhere. We're on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I go by real names, so I'm just Eric's. I know it's boring, but I'm just Eric Sats at both. So you know, you can pay attention there and. Or you can just look up my sweatshirt if you're watching this on video, <laughs> my hoodie. Right on. I feel like uh, your your name is right on that barometer where it's distinct enough. Like I've never heard of like another Eric Satz before. 
but it's simple enough that like someone's not going to struggle to spell it or look it up. Most likely, maybe you've had different experiences, but I feel like you kind of are so, right in that yeah, Goldilocks. Zone. No, it's funny. It's funny you say that. So you know, most people. I think the default for most people with Eric is a C, and okay. and that's what I am. So that works to my advantage. So you'd be you'd be surprised when I say Sats. Like some of the, you know, when I'm on the phone with an operator, I'm like S is in Sam, A is in Apple, T is in Tom, Z is in Zebra, and they're like, oh, Sats. I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. But Sats rhymes with cats. But I don't know. It's, I I get all I get all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. Ask my kids. <laughs> Yeah. I'm right on the other end where there's a, a famous country singer who's also named Aaron Watson, who's like a, a, a ma- order of magnitude more famous than I am. So <laughs> I'm I'm dealing with that like like Joe Smith. I can't even imagine what his uh, world must be like. But anyways, um, we're going to link all those links in the show notes to this episode. You can find it in the podcast app where you're probably listening to this or at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. But before I let you go, Eric, I would like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Uh, that's a great question. So it's probably not going to be the the answer most people might be thinking I give. I mean, crypto is so top of mind right now. And we have a crypto IRA product. Coinbase is our partner. And I highly recommend that if people are going to make long-term investments in crypto, that they use an alto crypto IRA to do it. But that's my that's not my my one thing because I think people are kind of already looking to try to figure out how to do that. Instead, what I would challenge you to do is to open your standard alto IRA account, move some money from wherever you have it, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab, wherever, to o- over to Alto. And, and do some homework and diligence on your, on your first alternative asset, like non-crypto alternative asset, whether, whether it's a, a startup company on Republic, WeFunder, or AngelList, or buying an interest in a piece of art on, on Masterworks, or we, we've got 70 plus different investment platform partners that you can begin to, to diligence. My, my challenge to everyone out there is make your first alternative asset investment and uh, see what that's like, see how that feels. Uh, challenge yourself, get out of your comfort zone. And I think that one of the other important elements of taking an approach that isn't just throw it in the index and forget it is also it requires you to do more thinking. Like you're that's not right. saying go for it. You're saying diligence it, yes. find it. And that's very different than literally set it and forget it, um, which, you know, you, we probably spend another hour on like the philosophy of actually approaching your life that way, which we don't necessarily have the time to. But <laughs> I am I am uh, in agreement with you on that front. Well, excellent. And so let's see if we can get some people to do that for themselves for the first time. Amen. Uh, Eric, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Aaron, thanks for having me, buddy. This, this was great. We just went deep with Eric Satz, who went out there has a fantastic day. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Eric. If you enjoyed it, then make sure that you don't miss our recent interview with Jason Yanowitz of Blockworks. Both of these characters are at the vanguard of entrepreneurship in the world of finance and alternative assets and have a lot to teach you regardless of what type of investing style you utilize. We'll link that in the show notes, but I also want you to hit subscribe because we have a number of fantastic interviews coming real soon. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.